Welcome to the Carnage Podcast. We interview some of today's most savvy marketers, creatives, and founders to find out what's working and what's not. We discover the tools and tactics they're using every day to get results, all in an effort to help you become the sharpest marketer in the room. I'm your host, Nick Kamenisi. My co-host today is Maggie Cook, digital designer at Carney. Hey, what's up? Our guest today is Daniel Gerwin, graphic designer, typographer, and local business owner here in Pittsburgh. Today, Danny helps us understand the difference between a logo and a brand identity, and also how you can communicate with your designer to get the best results. So without further ado, let's give our attention to Danny. Yeah, sure. So I'm Daniel Gerwin. I am a, I guess, first, I'm a graphic designer, uh, but I'm also uh, a letterer and type designer and, you know, wear several other hats, but I, I can just kind of throw it all under the umbrella of designer. Primarily, I work on brand identity design and branding, um, logos, brand strategy, print materials. I really like analog stuff. Um, yeah, sort of run a one-person shop, so, you know, all of the sort of different roles that come along with that from creative direction down to execution, you know, whatever, whatever it is. I just like getting in the trenches and you know, doing work. Um, something that actually made me think of you yesterday was, was coming back from Chicago and coming back into Pennsylvania, I saw a sign that had your script Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, so that's that's a really fun example of um, sort of the, the strange twists and turns this sort of freelance career can have. Um, that was an opportunity that started off like a lot of other jobs where I got an email from a prospective client um, being relatively vague about what the project was, just kind of we have a, you know, a logo need and, you know, can you, you want to come in and talk about it? So... Um, it wasn't, you know, first it was, it was sort of this normal project. And then if, after I signed an NDA, I realized that, um, they had got the, they had gotten the contract from the state to redo the state's tourism identity. And I was going to be drawing that script. So, you know, just a really, really fun opportunity to kind of be in the right place. Um, and just a really fun application of, of that set, you know, and just by sheer good fortune of the the nature of the product project, excuse me, it's you know now it's something that's going to be up for a pretty long long period of time. So just that sort of stuff's really exciting, you know. The stuff I don't necessarily have control over. The the stuff that's really you know the uh, kind of good fortune and luck of just the business. That's honestly what when I first got into design, that's what pulled me to to this direction was the idea of having something you created visible to everybody and it's just kind of cool that you've gotten to that point and that's awesome totally thanks thanks yeah that sort of mentality of of leaving artifacts behind you in this world's something that um i've always always adhered to whether you know it wasn't always designed but just sort of that that mindset you know make things leave them behind um i think it's a good way to approach the world so let's talk about brand identity. Um, I think a lot of our clients 
there is a, uh, it gets a little bit hazy when we use this term. They often think of it as simply a logo or a font. Can you help clarify this to our audience? Let's start really, really small with, with a logo. A logo is a specific mark or icon or emblem that is meant to represent uh, the name of a brand for recognition. That's how I got started off, making these, these singular marks. And a lot of times these, these sort of simple marks are what um, we see on Instagram referred to as branding or, or brand identity. And it's, it's part of those things, but it's not entirely those things. A logo is part of a brand identity in such that it supports um, the look and feel visually of that brand. So it's not limited to just the logo. The brand identity is the logo it's the way typography is used, those fonts, the feel of those fonts, the color palette, the, the photo styling, um, anything that's a visual expression of the tone of that brand is, is brand identity, how that brand looks. Now, if we go one step broader, just to talk about brand or branding, that larger umbrella beyond brand identity begins to encompass brand voice, messaging, strategy, and all of those things that inform the sort of larger ecosystem of the brand as a business and not just as a designed element. And those two things sort of shake hands at the intersection of brand identity. So logos and business strategy have very little to do with each other, but brand identity and branding are the tools and decisions and strategies that are employed to bridge those gaps and to, um, and to use design as a strategic tool to achieve business goals or um, social goals or cultural goals or whatever it might be. But that's how I would define sort of the ecosystem of, of brand, brand identity, and, and logo design. Yeah, I, I love this. And this is why in our last uh, podcast with Maury uh, from Bumble, he talked about, uh, you know, from a, a marketing standpoint, um, needing to collaborate with the creatives better. Uh, early on in his career, he, he chose, uh, I think, an image or something for an ad that was completely off brand. Um, so I think sometimes people... Uh, marketers especially um, maybe put creative creatives in a, in a box and uh, don't consider it when they're they're making decisions on a campaign but as you're t saying here too it, it goes hand in hand absolutely and I think that it's very easy to look at design as um, a want more than a need when you're breaking down a budget or sort of figuring out what your initial moves are gonna be what are some uh, top design mistakes that you've seen working with clients or ways in which a client can work with designers to fix these things you've seen? One of the most easily avoidable big mistakes that I see is in um, sort of a, a, a creative brief or um, in a request pointing directly to other brands or other logos and saying, you know, I would really like something that looks like this with this name and maybe a picture of this on the top. Um, and while that seems sort of like an innocuous request and maybe even a productive request, 
I think unknowingly what that client is already saying is I'm sort of locked into an aesthetic in mind. I have, I have um, an expectation aesthetically that you know, I, I'm either going to be disappointed or I'm going to be pleased in that regard. So we're either reprogramming that or trying to modify expectations off the bat. And then, um, you know, pointing to anybody else sort of as an end goal in general is automatically saying that even if you do the best you possibly can, you're going to be second best. So I think that, you know, when starting a new brand, just be really open to the idea of starting with a blank canvas. Don't feel a need to point to something or, you know, tell the designer what all of the elements of the brand need to be because that's why you're hiring the designer. The designer should tell you, use this paper. It's going to support the tone that we've created. Or um, let's edit our photos in, with this sort of filter because that's going to, you know, produce this sort of tone, et cetera, et cetera. And, and let them build the system with you. Let that become, let that grow and don't try to prescribe it. That's, I think, the biggest problem off the bat is just pointing to something, hoping that you look exactly like that, you know. Um, it's especially, again, to, to go back to the fact that we're really in an, in, a, in an e-commerce world for a lot of these brands that we're talking about, you can't play local or regional games, you know. You have to approach everything as a, as a global project because everything is interconnected and... Um, if you can't compete with every single thing that's out there, then you're just guaranteeing that you're going to be second, third, fourth tier, you know. So start with a blank canvas. Let it be weird. Challenge yourself to embrace something that feels new or weird um, and let people grow into it. You know, I think that the, the future is out there to create for people who aren't afraid to make it. Yeah, 100% agree with all of that. Um... One thing you were talking about, uh, starting blank and not being afraid to get weird. One thing my professor told me while I was in school was seek forgiveness, not permission. And that's really stuck with me. And I'm just wondering, what's your take and how do you work with risk taking and convincing clients to go a certain way if they're slightly hesitant or getting them on board with what you think is a great idea or potentially the idea? That's a great question. You know, I might feel really convinced of an idea from a creative standpoint. And frankly, to a client, it doesn't matter if it's going to make, if it's going to be a creative breakthrough that makes all the blogs. If it's not a good business decision, then it doesn't really add value. So if I'm ever trying to sell something that I truly believe in, I want to make sure that it's something that the client can also believe in and that it's rooted at some point in, in strategy and um, in logic. And a lot of times, you know, with the fresh new stuff, it's not a hard sell. You know, it's really, I think a lot of people operate in a counterintuitive manner such that they copy things that are already out there. They mimic things that, you know, because it's, it's easy, generally it's cheap, it's fast, it doesn't require a lot of creativity. Um, but if you can start from scratch and you can create something new, the, the business argument's simple. It's, you know, this is going to be recognizable and memorable. And recognition and memorability are just, you know, like a one-two punch in starting to build a strong brand. You know, once you people have a good, if you have a good interaction with a memorable brand, then you've got a positive brand experience, you know. But if, if you've got a not to point any fingers again, but like if I eat a good lunch in some American city at some place with a reclaimed wooden table and black pipe 
fitted shelves and all this and that and the Edison lamps and the other thing, like whatever, sure. It might fit an aesthetic, but I'm never going to remember it as anything unique. It's just going to remind me of like a sea of, you know, Pinterest tiles. And that's exactly the opposite of why you pay people to design. So I think that I just redid my office with all that same stuff <laughs> you mentioned. You're saying it's not the latest. I'm uh. saying you should embrace whatever you love in your home as your personal style, Nick. And that's awesome. I have Look at my pictures. I have, I have black pipe shelves in my office too. But if I was making a restaurant right now, it's just been done. You know, there's no sense in, in trying to trying to recapitulate something that um, you know the butcher's daughter's already knocked it out of the park on. You know, it's I think um, I think rusty pipe is next. So <laughs> just put that stuff outside. <laughs> Man, if if it if it's not out there, it might be next. You know, get it started. <laughs> What kind of advice would you give to someone hiring a designer? What's some things they should look out for or questions that they should ask um, in order for them to get the end product that they're looking for? Sure. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some advice here that might be a little bit different than, than what most people will say. I'll give you some standard stuff, but I'm going to start with a couple of weirder things. But um, from like a broad stroke perspective, this is, this is sort of the helpful stuff, I think, coming from the inside. One, be prepared to have a budget that reflects the amount of responsibility you want your designer to own. Um, not the amount of work you want them to do or the amount of time that you want them involved, but you're paying them to manage a problem. How big is that problem? How much do you need to trust them to handle that solution? How is important that that solution is executed correctly and what's that worth? I think that's the real calculation that a lot of people are missing. Um, and a lot of designers are missing it. Young designers out of college, freelancing, you know, it's not about um, your time, it's about your expertise and your ability to use your expertise, your lived experience, your knowledge, your skill set, all of these things to solve somebody's problem and to solve a weird problem in a way that not a lot of people can solve problems. So. That's sort of the first thing is that if you're, you know, if you're a business owner, understand that you're kind of hiring this weird person to figure out a lot of kind of weird problems that you know you don't really want to be responsible for and understand that you're just paying that person for peace of mind to handle them, to take them off your plate, to assure you that they're done well um, and, and, and move on. You know, you're not hiring somebody to... You're not hiring somebody who's going to come into your office and hang out and, you know, apply all of your favorite colors to a logo to see which one you prefer. You know, the, the more a designer can take those things off your plate and give you strategic solutions, the more valuable that designer is. So if you're looking for somebody to handle a pretty large portion of, of your design load. Let's say you're getting started as a business. You've got you know brand identity, asset requirements that you need to create, but you also have got a lot of communication. You've got social media materials you need. You sort of have a larger strategy. That, that strategy, the implementation of that, the organization of all of that, understand that you're paying somebody to manage all of those processes and not just open up Photoshop and pick a pick the right font. You know, you're asking somebody to manage timelines and, and, and processes and own project timelines. So, you know, just understanding that it's not arts and crafts time really. You know, unfortunately, I wish it was. 
No, I think that's some really good advice. Um, I think if you, someone's starting a brand or they're a founder, they they have so many things going on um, that it's important for them to, to know the right questions to ask so they don't get halfway through the process and end up with a product that is not meeting their expectations. So I, I, I hope that if they get anything from this, uh, this podcast, it's that, is uh, how to communicate better with designers and creatives. Yeah, and I think... To that point, you know, communicating um, very clearly what your strategic goals are. And, um, you know, as, as a business person, I think that all designers should understand how to speak business language a little bit better. Um, just as, you know, I think a lot of business owners really do attempt to speak the design language, especially in this day and age with accessible tools. Um, people know fonts. They'll send me color palettes. You know, they use Pinterest. Like, Business owners are really, they've made a stretch into the design world for, for better, for worse. You know, sometimes it's, it's great and sometimes, um, like we said earlier, you get caught up on kind of expecting certain aesthetics. But I think that all designers should understand how businesses work, how they, how they build uh, customers, how, they, how their products are manufactured if they manufacture products, you know, what their services are, who their clientele, you know, if you don't understand a business's needs, then you can't create graphic solutions for those needs. So my, my advice to, to business owners would be to speak candidly in business terms to your designer about what your goals and expectations are. Let them in on what you know so they're solving the same problem, you know, a lot of business owners, I think, will stand in sort of as creative directors where they still want to hold creative control over the designer. And oftentimes that just sort of um, you know, muddies the waters a little bit. But if you can trust you, that your designer is intuitive enough to understand your business needs uh, and to kind of treat them as a collaborator... Uh, I think you can get the most out of out of the experts you hire, and you can really let them shine and, and show you what they're capable of. Changing paths a little bit, you, you uh, blessed us with uh, your wonderful social media is not the end goal talk at uh, the yearly carnage in April. And one of the biggest takeaways, at least I got from it, was being your own critic, especially on social media, how we have this... Um, I guess a following of people who are intended to like what you're doing and to kind of keep yourself in check. And I'm wondering just how you go about doing that and what advice you have for others out there. Um, well, I think that if anybody out there is interested in keeping themselves in check, a first piece of advice would uh, be go get married. I did that and I'm always, I'm always kept in check. No, I'm just joking. But uh, my wife is, she's, she's got a really, really, really great eye and she's got great taste. So I, I, re I really appreciate that the fact that I can kind of bounce ideas off of her and she can, you know, she'll give me a look and kind of shake her head if it's something weird. She knows, you know, if it's, if it's good or not. So trusting the people around you is important, but also, you know, when you say trusting yourself and being your own harshest critic, I think that it's it's more than it's not just you know criticizing your artistic capabilities or you know is this person better at lettering than I am am I as good a letterer you know it's not that sort of thing but it's I feel like it's um, 
you've got to be critical about things. Like earlier in the podcast, we were talking about using words correctly, you know? Don't hashtag branding something if it's just a little doodle, you know? you got to have respect for um, kind of kind of earning your stripes, going slowly and methodically, earning the knowledge, um, you know, being critical uh, enough to kind of fill in the gaps of what you don't know. You know, I, I didn't study graphic design or branding directly. I studied architecture. So while I picked up a lot of hard skills, um, you know, design skills, the kind of brand-specific knowledge and, and typography-specific knowledge and things that I've acquired over, over the years have been really um, kind of self-guided. And it's just, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a self-motivated process to fill in the gaps of what you don't know, to be more correct, to be more precise, to be more capable. Um, I think it's just, I mean, it just boils down to wanting to do a good job. I don't think it's specific to design. I think it's specific to anything that you take seriously in life. But um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I, I think that's just, it's, it's either a mentality you approach it with or not. And if you don't, then I, I, I don't think that um, you can really grow to your potential. I think you're just going to throttle yourself if, if you start patting yourself on the back too early. I agree. I actually was just interviewed and that is the same response I gave. My wife is my best critic. Um, but I think the prince, the principle of that too is that you know when you're building teams um, or hiring, you should look for people that are going to be transparent, that you know respectful, but will tell you when something is is not right or is not the best choice. Not people who are just going to agree with everything you do, and um, that that's what I got from the talk too. Is a lot of times we're going on social media to get this validation to make us feel good, but at the end of the day, as you mentioned, it's not really helping us grow. Um, as a person, as a designer, or in our career. Right. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I don't even think it's, you know, it's almost not even respectful, in my opinion, to just gas people up knowingly. You know, if, if I, I feel like it's great to be encouraging. Everybody should feel encouraged and motivated, and people shouldn't feel judgment as they're learning. Um, I believe in a really, really, like, fertile, fossil, fertile, and... Um, uh, good environment for, for learning in all circumstances. However, I think that you also have to learn to get a thick skin. You know, at a certain point, you need you kind of need to brace for it. I think that there's there's a transition period when you can explore, and there's no right answer, or wrong answer. You're getting familiar with a topic or a skill set, whatever it might be. Um, but at a certain point, you know, you kind of need to to ready yourself for all the things you don't want to hear, knowing full well that, at, at, you know, the other side of that, um, you know, you'll, you'll be stronger and better and more, and more capable. It's just kind of, you know, hunkering down and handling those waves as they come, which is kind of how it feels. You know, there's at these different points, you kind of get hit with these waves when you realize, like, you know, you're trying to level up and you realize you might be a little bit in over your head or you got a little more to learn than you thought you did. And, you know, embracing criticism in those moments is how you become a capable person. Um, and in, in, in my opinion, embracing criticism and being really open and sort of childlike with new skills is just, that's, that's been, um, for me, just a way to not get discouraged about, about new things, things I, don't, I didn't think I could do. You know, it's just having a different approach to, um, 
kind of the unknown as an opportunity. Right, right. Um, one other thing, uh, I've had some clients come up to me and ask for creative and that they want it to last. They don't want it to look like just the current trend or they want in 10 years for it to still be um, relevant, yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, how do you deal with that? Like, for example, I'm thinking the Pennsylvania sign, that's gonna be up who knows how long, but how do you straddle that line of a trend versus something that's gonna be more timeless? The, the first step in sort of defending against the plight of trends is to be really studious. You know, you're not going to be able, excuse me, um, to identify a trend as to avoid a trend. Um, you have to kind of understand the lay of the land. So I think for me, the, the things that I would attribute um, to sort of my penchant for leaning towards uh, a timeless style and an and enduring style in place of sort of more trendy things um, is just studying, studying the best of, of what's out there. Uh, you know, Paul Rand, amazing, amazing work, you know, that's still as modern today as it ever was and understanding, you know, what's, what's fund fundamental about that. Um, Saul Bass, you know, just really, really great stuff. I mean, obviously Aaron Draplin sort of puts on, his, his life is really a case study in, in how do you embrace the functional uh, and the timeless. And he does it with a really great aesthetic and vibe. You know, he's, he's the man. But um, that's, you know, that's not, that's not everything. He's sort of within that, that world of um, very, like, practical, timeless stuff. He does pull out a style, which is really cool, you know. But there's, you know, there's just, there's so much to draw on in the world that isn't designed. Stuff that wasn't made to sell, uh, a, a, like a, a sea salt hairspray or some sort of weird granola bar subscription box or something. You know, way before that, when things were like really important, like this is a sprinkler and this is how you turn it on if there's a fire in this building. You know, and understanding how those signs communicate and what's clear about them and you know, and then also on the flip side of that, just understanding as humans what's attractive to us, you know, over time. Um, what, there are certain, it's, it's not as black and white, I think, as what's functional or what's timeless, but there are certain things that I think are just kind of fundamentally beautiful. Um, I think that there's a lot of, st there's a lot of trendy stuff that goes against that. You know, I think that things that really bother me are, a lot of these script logos and things like that just not they don't follow correct conventions of of letter forms there's just like you know stuff that i see executed on a really um high level in the industry sometimes you see this stuff up in you know national brands or you know on a really wide scale and they're just very fundamental rudimentary errors in 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 the the typography and it's it's stuff like that those are it's avoidable you know, if you just um, respect the fact that you have to acquire the knowledge, it's, it's sort of a slow thing at times, but when you can lean on the knowledge, then you can do things correctly. And when you do things correctly, they can last. But until you understand why something might be correct or incorrect, 
um, rushing to make it feel like look a certain vibe or something, you know, it's just guaranteed to be to be to be fleeting. So I think just read books, you know, read books about design and, and make things that look like stuff that's in books. I don't know. No, I think one of the uh, Maggie had mentioned it, your talk at the, the yearly carnage. I think what was interesting about that is that um, the majority of those who spoke w come from a marketing background um, and you were clearly a designer, a creative, and we wanted to mix up um, the speakers because of that. But we had a lot of feedback um, from people from diverse backgrounds that uh, I feel like either got a lot of inspiration, um, but also like principles, took away principles from your talk that they can apply to their business. And then that's one of the reasons we you know, wanted to take the time to dig a little bit deeper into you know the thought process behind what you do so can you uh give people some references to where they can find your work and uh anything else that you're currently involved in yeah sure so um if you want to kind of see my my body of work uh in a formal capacity you can just check out my website danielgerwin.com uh, g-u-r-w-i-n.com uh if you want to see sort of the day-to-day -day happenings, sketches on my desk, little bits and pieces of things I'm collecting or stuff around my office, uh, my Instagram, I share a lot of like work in progress stuff. Um, you can kind of get a look under the hood there. That's just at Daniel Gerwin, uh, Instagram. Um, don't go to my Facebook. I don't use it. I don't use Twitter. I don't like the other stuff. Um, I'll just stick to those two. That's that's that keeps me busy. Um, but besides that, I um, let's see what's what's coming up. Um, a couple new restaurants in Pittsburgh that are going to be opening hopefully I think early 2019. Uh, mm -hmm. Ooh, I'm a big foodie, so yeah, yeah, uh, want to hear about I don't those know later. How much I can say, <laughs> but I can say that there's going to be um, a new rooftop dining experience where there wasn't one previously. Um, in a really, in a really cool neighborhood that I happen to, to like, uh, be particularly fond of. And yeah, two restaurants from a really, really great Pittsburgh chef. Um, that one's a lot of fun, but that one's a little, a little quiet for a bit. And let's see what else is going on. Working with, um, actually kind of getting back to some architectural roots with the folks, um, I don't know if I should say who right now. I won't say who, but um, getting back into some like wayfinding and, and signage and um, and things like that that are you know like signage systems and things that we nerded out about um, as architecture students. So going full circle on some of that stuff. A um, couple other brand identities just got just got done wrapping. Um, a really fun medical marijuana identity that's going to be probably under wraps for a while, but um, excited to see that stuff roll out. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just like, it's always every, everything in every direction. That's, that's why it's so fun, you know, week to week, um, month to month. It's just, you never know where it's going to go. So riding the wave. All right, man. We appreciate you taking the time out to come on. And uh, we know that our guests always, um, brings bring value because we choose them <laughs> <laughs> well, i really i appreciate it man i appreciate you guys uh taking the time to 
listen to me ramble about things that uh, generally, you know, again, back to my wife and I both work from home. So she, she gets a lot of my, my inner thoughts and the ones that turn into outer thoughts during the day. But um, yeah, it's nice to, to ramble about nerdy stuff to a fresh audience that isn't exhausted about it yet. Appreciate it. This podcast was brought to you by Carney, the full service digital agency behind the Daily Carnage newsletter. If you're not already hip to it, you can sign up today at carney.co. That's C-A-R-N-E-Y.co. It may just be the best thing to hit your inbox. Stay sharp.